Ladies and gentlemen, it is I, your boy, Sam Gilstrap. We're back again. The Ghost Lights Podcast Spring Break Bonanza. That's a tongue twister, folks. It's still going. It's live. It's in effect. Woo! I have Emma Messenger in the house, everybody. It's getting real. Hi, Emma. <laughs> Hello. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank Good. you. That's fantastic. Thank we, you. You, you bring a touch of class to this oh. basement where we... <laughs> I'm your... just thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad we have. I finally have the opportunity to dedicate more of my time to doing this and to get the people that we want to hear talk about the craft and why they do it and why they love it. So I'm, I'm really, really excited that you had the free time. I know you are busy at the Arvada Center I, and all over. I am, but you know what? It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you for, for giving me this chance to... Definitely. Tell some stories. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what we do here. Um, ladies and gentlemen, again, the Ghost Lights Podcast. Um, we, we wouldn't be what we are without our followers, so please find us on Podbean and iTunes. Download our theme song, which is by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. The song is War. It's on iTunes for a buck twenty-nine. You can't beat that for a great track. Just throw it on when you're driving to work or you're leaving work. Or you're stuck in traffic, or it's very energizing. Yeah, yeah, it makes it makes me feel good. Yeah. Like I'm ready to <laughs> I'm ready to talk to people. I'm on a comfortable I'm couch. I'm fired up, frankly. That's right, you should be. <laughs> Woo! Let's get some. So, without further ado, Emma, theater. How did it happen? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, you know, there just wasn't anything else that I did very well. <laughs> So I know it's that kind feel. of one of those things where that that I guess to be fair brought me so much joy. Nice. Um, I can remember being in third grade in Mrs. Cecilio's class, and this is a true story. Every day at recess, we would have this game um, about the little house on the prairie. You know, Laura Ingalls Wilder, mm -hmm. and we made up this whole novel. <laughs> we would act it out every recess. We made that whole class come out. And we had like a, there was this tree that kind of curled and you could climb up it. It was mm -hmm. on the on the playground. I mean, I suppose they don't do that anymore. You know, oh. actually have kids climb on a real tree. But we did back then. No. I'm only 800 years old. so. <laughs> um, and we made that whole class come out to watch us for like an hour. Awesome. Give our version of what happened, you know, after the novels left off mm -hmm. or whatever. And I was Mary, so I was blind. <laughs> and I was blind climbing this tree. But that was, you know, there was just so... I can't imagine those poor kids having to watch us do that or what the teacher was thinking. Um, but it was... I suppose that was really the beginning. Nice. That's what sparked it off. Yes. Nice. I this... It is old whole image of people just sitting there going like I know sitting watching? in the in the Texas sun, you know, of an afternoon <laughs> watching these three kids enact this <laughs> made up story. But yeah. <laughs> so in third grade you're you're playing out there on the playground, your 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 make your make believe stage. How did it progress from there? Um well I did um speech and debate and mm -hmm. plays, you know, uh, I was the president of the thespians in high school, that kind of thing. And my parents were dead set against it. Oh, wow. They thought this was the worst idea they had ever heard that, mm -hmm. you know, acting was the second oldest profession, Emma, and we all know what the first is. Mm -hmm. I was, um, I think one year they forbid me to even take any theater classes. So oh. it was a big deal. So I went to college and university and I thought, well, I'll, you know, take biology and... Math. <laughs> I was just so miserable at it. I was terrible. Biology, it was okay because you just memorized these beautiful names. But chemistry, yeah. I just, it was just so foreign to me. I could not wrap my brain around it. So, and eventually, sort of, then I was a journalism major for a while. And then, nice. I don't know, an English major. And finally, just, oh, okay, I'm a theater major. Nice. And, uh, and then I went to work for a small professional theater company in St. Petersburg, Florida called American Stage Company. Mm. And I did, um, there's Shakespeare in the Park and, oh, a handful of really wonderful shows there. I got my equity card mm. and 
met my first husband and he was from Los Angeles. So instead of going to New York, which was the next step, I went to LA mm -hmm. and we got married. I had a baby and that was it. Mm. And it was a very unhappy marriage. So before I knew it, I was a single mom living in Los Angeles, determined not to go home to Texas because yeah. I knew then it would be over. Mm. And I then had a really difficult time, you know, just being poor in Los Angeles and having a kid yeah. and being on your own. It's, it's not fun. It's, it's, it's stressful. Yeah. It's very stressful. So that was kind of the dark ages for me. Mm. But then I met my second husband, my teddy bear in shining armor. Mm. And, um, I, I was going to start acting again, but he wanted more children mm. as did I. And so the more kids came along and you know, when I was a mom, I mean, I'm still a mom yeah. obviously, but when I was a mom of little kids, it swallowed up any ambition I had. I just I wanted yeah. to be a mom. And I loved, I had the luxury um, with my uh, second and third kid of being able to stay home. Mm -hmm. be, I, I mean, in this day and age, that is so, such a gift. You know, I had a husband with a good job who wanted me to stay home. And, and I was the PTA mom. Mm. I, <laughs> I could... I could bake cookies if I wanted to. Um, and the funny thing is, that can be a very lonely life, too. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I made all my children's clothes. I mean, it was just, I just threw myself into that. There was no time for mm -hmm. acting. I never thought I would do any acting again. Wow. And then I, I, I started to audition again. Mm -hmm. And the kids were getting old enough that I could leave them. Mm -hmm. And... I did some, I worked with a wonderful company in Los Angeles at that time it was called Circus Theatricals mm -hmm. and did a summer where you, every Saturday morning you would just go to this theater sort of in downtown LA mm -hmm. and um, a small, one of those 99 seat houses and just do Shakespeare every Saturday morning or do other play, you know, just do other scenes mm -hmm. and um, Jack Stalin ran that and Alfred Molina was part of it. Wow. So it was like this whole wonderful summer of just, you know, watching other people, uh, people who were really in the industry get up there and, and, and do Twelfth Night or something, you know, a scene mm -hmm. from Macbeth or whatever. It was, it was just, it was just a wonderful uh, experience. And I did some shows for them and things, I did a few films that, you know, really disgraceful fantastic experience but my god please don't ever watch them films uh, we and found them on IMDb here's a clip <laughs> no, I'm kidding <laughs> and then also some some wonderful sort of um, little short films that were um, just just exquisite experiences but it's not the same as as acting in front of a live audience mm -hmm. it's a very different creature it's the camera is the star, and the camera or the people behind the camera are what make all the decisions about what is shown. If you're on stage, there's a lot more autonomy and um, ability to kind of steer a story a certain way. Yeah. Of course, you're doing it in collaboration with everybody else on stage and, and your stage manager and the director, um, but but you, you, you have more power to make something sing or not. Yeah. Whereas... You know, you may do something incredible and they just cut it and it never shows up. So that's okay. <laughs> um, and then we moved out here. My husband got a job offer out here. And so things were just beginning to cook for me mm -hmm. in, in L.A. And I was starting to get offers. And we, and uh, my daughter had been very uh, ill met with mental illness and had actually come out here to go to school. And then my husband got a job offer out here. And... She was just about to graduate and high school. And it was terrifying because we didn't know how to how to live with this person who had was having such difficulties. And the school had been such a sort of moment in our family to just take a breath. Mm -hmm. um, anybody who's ever dealt with mental illness, um, especially in a child, it can be, I mean, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. It's... Mm. Um, 
it's a real black hole that you can lose yourself and your family can get lost in. Yeah. But we, we, we moved out here because, for one thing, we could get a bigger place to live. Mm-hmm. And things are so expensive in L.A. And so we got one of these great, big, comfortable houses out here. With mm-hmm. So there would be room for all of us to, to live together in peace, hopefully, <laughs> would be one on top with all this other stress. And, uh, and Ruby's doing really well. Nice. Um, it's still not easy. It's still a struggle mm-hmm. every day. Um, but I think as a parent, I stopped being so angry with her. Great. Um, and that's something any mother with a, a child who's suffering from something like that, you got to come to terms with. Yeah. And that anger is maybe an initial res- as an initial response is just not helpful. Mm-hmm. So you learn how to deal with that. And I thought, okay, doing this move, cross leaving this sort of acting mecca and coming to to Denver, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what I, you know, I. I had no idea this vast treasure trove in this this community of of actors and and artists and uh, that that work here to produce some really beautiful incredible theater yeah. and I have just been so blown away by the opportunities that are here mm-hmm. and no you're not making um sort of a film that's going to be go down as a classic and etc but the art is the same yeah the dedication is the so dead the, exactly the mm-hmm. commitment the and the quality of the material you can do here it's it's just unquestionable so Absolutely. um that's been this coming to denver sort of almost 10 years ago has mm-hmm. been a, a real blessing we I never looked back nice. yeah i, I You've been here for ten years, and my first encounter with you on actually stage, eight years, eight, eight years. years. Oh, okay, yeah. Was so so was my first encounter with you, um, Beauty Queen or Beauty yes. Queen of the Nun? That yes. was your first yeah. real show here. Well, it was um, it was one that got a lot of attention. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I, I remember. It's certainly some of my best work, and I got to work with just the most incredible team oh, man. on that yeah. show. Yeah. yeah, EPD, Mark Collins, oh, God. Uh, yeah. Bouchard, right? Yes, Bouchard. yes. Nice, yeah. yeah. And who's the director for that? That was Michael Stricker. Michael Stricker. Yeah, the yeah. incomparable Michael Stricker. It was, was such an amazing... I remember sitting there after watching that show um, with my girlfriend at the time, Maggie, and I was just sitting there going like, after it was over, I'm like, I'm not doing things like that. <laughs> you know, I don't think I'd ever done anything like that yeah. before myself. It was yeah. it's an intense ride, and, and uh-huh. you, you brought a real honest touch to it. Oh, sitting well, there in you. that chair, it was really, it was you were you were terrifying, and you were creepily loving. And, was, <laughs> and then and then there was like a genuine pain behind that woman, and I thought that was really cool how you and and how you did that, but also like I was sitting there going like. Who is this person? Where did she come from? Oh, when you had yeah. just handed a role like that, yeah. and given the sort of support that someone like, you know, Ricky Aconis at the Edge, mm-hmm. and Michael Stricker as a director, and that incredible cast around you, it, uh, you can go places that you never imagined, and that was that was just. A gorgeous experience for me as mm-hmm. as just an, an actor, to be to, Martin McDonough is just so incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that woman, what a woman, oh. you know. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. But you know, I often play mothers, and I think a lot of times people write about their mothers, you know, in plays, and they're 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 often sort of the villain, or or somehow. Mm-hmm. They've disappointed you or let you down. There's such expectation mm. of mothers in this culture, and I, I think having been a mother mm-hmm. and having been a mother who sort of faced this this thing with my daughter, um, this bipolar disorder or whatever, this disease that, and not been a particularly glowing example of motherhood mm-hmm. during that time, I said I have great sympathy for these women. Mm. Um, and I, I don't see them as the monster sometimes. 
<laughs> portrayed to be. So maybe that adds a, a, a nuance to it that hopefully is entertaining. You Do know? you feel a necessity to to bring out that, uh, well, for lack of a better term, softer side of these women? I don't Because you've lived it to I, a degree? I don't know if it's anything even conscious. I just, it's there for me. Mm-hmm. I get them. Nice. I get their point of view. Mm-hmm. Um um, at this show I'm doing now, I, the, all my sons at the Arvada Center, I play a mom. Mm-hmm. And people describe her as, um, uh, as, as somehow, you know, giving her some sort of uh, wickedness to her or, or conniving ability. And I just, I don't see that at all. Mm-hmm. I just see her as absolutely surviving um in a world that is just crumbling around her. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I come across as meaner than I hope to sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and definitely Mag in, in The Beauty Queen was mm. not, you know, a golden example of maternal mm. <laughs> devotion. No. Um, but she was just surviving. Yeah. She just didn't want to be left. Yeah, uh, that I mean that was one of the things that I loved about her because it was it was clear the intentions, right? In terms of like, she saw, she saw EPD's character and I can't remember the character's name leaving or having any happiness, knowing of what, how much better the world outside of that cottage could be. Right. As a as a, I'm gonna be left alone. I've got right. no one to care for me. I understand that there's things I can't do on my own that I need to be able to do. If I'm going to be left alone, and and you kind of reaching out to make those things happen. Well, she was going. I mean, she would not survive without mm-hmm. her daughter there to take care of her. But as often in these really good plays, mm-hmm. your happy, your character's happiness um, is dependent on ruining somebody else's life. I mean, when the stakes are that high. Yeah. Another thing we found with this, all my sons, mm-hmm. is that of the four main characters. Um, for any one of them to achieve their objective, they have to destroy someone they love. Mm-hmm. It's happiness. Mm-hmm. So you are locked into uh, this purgatory mm-hmm. where you can't move forward. But they, you know, there's this longing to go back to when life was sweet. And you can't go back. You can never go back. And if you don't deal with the past, you can't move forward. Mm-hmm. And so these characters are just so trapped. And that tension is um is just fascinating to me and hopefully to the audience too but it's like raising the stakes right Mm -hmm. the stakes are very high and as they are in beauty queen it is life and death yeah Uh, yeah exactly i mean at least as far as they can see right how what are some of the the pieces i find as you've been here and the roles you've been stacking up one after the other is there something specific you look for when you audition for a show or when you look at a season and you're going like hmm well that's such a great question because um i'm sort of this middle-aged fat woman who you would think um there's not that many roles available out there and it's true there aren't but I think that's the wonderful thing about this this uh, community here is when I worked at the Edge, I had Rick who would find something for me. Mm-hmm. It be, it got to be that sweet of a situation for me, mm-hmm. um, which oh my God, what a gift! You yeah. know, he was giving me. Um, so then, great roles did come my way, mm-hmm. but there were I think also people. If people's, you know, you 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 get a chance to show what you can do, and then other directors will come and see and think, okay, I've got you in mind for this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because that those roles, though they're few and far between, require a certain presence or quality mm-hmm. that I can give. Um, yeah. And that uh, has led, I mean, what a rich trove of just, you know, mm-hmm. of roles that I've... I've yeah. I've been so f- lucky to have have the opportunity to just experience. Well, it's well great. like uh, the talent trumps a lot of things, and, I, and forgive I hate using that phrase these days. <laughs> um, but talent, but talent overcomes so much, it, yeah. or at the very least, it accentuates what's already there. 
and I think in in regards to you, I mean, as you describe yourself, like, yeah, but you can also play those parts because as you were touching on, you have the ability to go there to to hit those notes. No, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, but I think that's really quite specific to theater mm, as well. In truth. film, in film, where everything is so dependent on visually, well, even to get cast, you have to, you have to sort of box yourself into somebody else's idea mm-hmm. of of what this stereotype, um, this niche, I guess, would would be, um, right. and. I mean, they ask you that at the beginning, you know, sort of your manager will ask you what, you know, mm-hmm. can you be the nurse? Can you be the principal? Can you, you know, yeah. what of the school, you know, what, where, what niche are you? And, and it's, uh, it's very limiting. Whereas theater, you, you could a play, it's just, it's, you're so much more free to take it, take with the words on the page. And if they connect to you somehow, go, let Go for the ride, you know, mm-hmm. see where it will take you. And a good director will allow you to do that in rehearsal. Yeah. Um, where you, and we had such a good director in Lynn Collins at mm. the Aravada Center, um, who, who knew this script on my son so mm. well. She'd done it before and understood already, even just walking into the room, so much. Of, of what that story is about mm-hmm. and what the themes are and yet allowed us to take it places uh, that, that I, I never imagined um, from the first day of rehearsal where we ended up is so far mm-hmm. from I mean I thought okay this is such a, this is a classic script this is a good tale I get this woman she's a mother she just wants to you know, save her son who she believes is alive. <laughs> the, the story has nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, where you end up, it's it's not about that. And it's the first the first half of the play is all getting you to a point where the second half you are just tumbling off a cliff, and mm-hmm. there's no, you know, you you grab a piece of grass on the way down. You know, you gotta, <laughs> it breaks right. You're just continually falling off, mm-hmm. but. Um, and I think that's very exciting to me where you can, you know, there's the joy of performing. And and again, there is the joy of rehearsing. Mm. And they're two very different things. And when you have a really strong director um, who has the confidence to trust her actors, yeah. uh, you, can, you can go places. You really can. And for, for example, in, in this one, um, this mother that I'm playing, Kate. Mm-hmm. She, her philosophy of the world, her way of being, mm-hmm. is so completely illogical mm. to an outsider looking in. Yeah. It's so turned on its head and twisted and and malformed because of the pressure that she's under, because she's living lies. Mm-hmm basically, and struggling. Every, all her energy is going into patching up this facade yeah. every day. And um, and she's constantly trying to keep everybody else in line with the lie yeah. and to protect everybody, her family, very much um, protecting her family. But then... In the second act, she completely spills the beans on everything. Mm-hmm. She's the one who lets all the secrets out. <laughs> and I couldn't understand how to get from point A to B mm-hmm. with that, or Z with that, because she's such a complete, completely, she goes against everything she had been preaching to everybody else mm-hmm. in, the, in the first act, right? And there's just one or two lines where her son says to the neighbor, um, go and take care of mom, she's really upset, you know. Can you give her something? Or and and Sue Bayless, the neighbor, says, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll give her. I'll give her one of everything." Nice. And I I realize, okay, she's completely high. <laughs> the second act, when she comes out, she is completely out of her mind, high on whatever drugs she was given. Uh-huh. Um, and it suddenly made sense. Uh-huh. It was like this epiphany of, okay, that's why she loses all her inhibitions and starts saying all these things, that, just the way she talks. And it freed me up to really 
goes from now somebody in the audience may miss that line and may not understand mm-hmm. but that's okay because you don't always have to understand everything you're watching to be interested and yeah. to be fascinated by some story and so I and of course if I came out there and played it completely loopy mm-hmm. it, it would be distracting yeah you stand up yeah but for me just to know what was actually happening to that woman mm-hmm. and to figure that out was just such a relief and yeah. it because suddenly everything clicked and when you can have a moment like that in rehearsal to discover that yeah. ah that's joyful yeah. the floodgates just open up for yes, the rest of the yes yes exactly like, oh that's where it's been right yeah i love those especially in, in rehearsal when you when you can find a nugget that may or may not be even your line Right, your, and your, in this case, it wasn't. It yeah. was other other characters talking about her, um, but that uh, that's rich. Mm-hmm. And then performance, like I said, it's okay if not everybody sort of understood I had made that choice. Yeah. But for me, it added a depth and a a logic. Then suddenly things things made sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Did was, did you hear that, or was it something you were yeah, just reviewing the I, script? Um, I I. I love to listen to um, the other scenes that I'm not in. Mm-hmm. And I do that even in performance. I'll just sit as close as I can to the stage and just listen. Mm. It just keeps me in it. Nice. Um, until I'm done. And then I'll go sit back and crochet and <laughs> eat chocolate. But, um, um, yeah, so th- this was just watching some of the other wonderful actors that are, that are, that are in that play. Um, doing their lines and mm-hmm. suddenly hearing that and thinking, oh my God, she's high. Yeah. She's high as a kite. <laughs> okay, that I'm going to try that. And Lynn, who is just, was like so supportive. Okay, let's go for it, you mm-hmm. know. And so we did. And right. that's, that's where I landed. That's great. That. Yeah. Do you, um, do, have you found yourself to get comfortable at all with the work in terms of scene study, working the script yourself on your own time? Or... Or is it something that you're still really eager to dive into? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have um, every every new project, I think you have to you you have to bring your A game to. Yeah. I mean, even if it's just something that you think, Oh, I could do this in a snap, you know. Yeah. Um, you gotta start and I I truly believe that it's all about energy. Mm. It's that now maybe not for for people who are um, who are sort of play themselves on stage all the time. Yeah. Um, then it's more about perhaps what what they're bringing. But for me, it's much more satisfying to go back to the very beginning to figure out this character, and as you start to build the character physically or internally, what what have you. Um, you add on those layers, but to go back to sort of the very root of, of where that person is coming from and let that dictate sort of the path you follow. Nice. So as, as much, as, as far as you can go back, and you know, it's all about figuring out what the spine of that, what does that character want? Mm-hmm. And, and what you've, and allowing that idea to change over the rehearsal process. Mm-hmm. That what you think that character is all about at the beginning may very well not be what you end up with. Absolutely. And that's okay. That's mm-hmm. good, in fact. Because um, even things, ideas you reject will shape what you end up with. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And you you also don't want to lock yourself into something either emotionally or, um, we'll say, through-line based. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Keep yourself flexible. Mm-hmm. Especially emotionally because... If you start to think, okay, I've got to play this emotion here or that emotion there, you can get tripped up. Yeah. Um, because it's not about emotion; it's about it's about action. Mm-hmm. And um, I sort of think you've got your spine of what your character wants, the overarching theme, mm-hmm. and then the actions are the muscles that sit on that skeletal system. You yeah. know, you've got what you're actually doing in each scene. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about blocking. I'm talking about um, 
the objectives within each moment mm-hmm. that your character is yeah. trying to achieve. And then I kind of think the emotion is the skin that sits on top of that. Right. And that you, you know, you, you don't, it, the things that are driving the character are underneath the emotion. The emotion mm-hmm. is just what lives on the surface that everybody sees. It's how you're coping with what you're trying to get, Absolutely. right? Yeah. And, you know, whether you're losing it or not is, is something, it, you know, that's not, the main idea that's not the thrust of mm-hmm. of what you're trying to achieve does that make sense absolutely no, okay. no it's a very i like i really like that analogy the with the the step-by-step breakdown of yeah. what every piece is and and you see then that the body that's put up there exactly is it, it, it's it fully is developed pieces, right exactly. right and you can't you you know if one part of that is incorrect yeah then you you've not done it right. Exactly. But, um, if you're just seeing a bunch of muscles walking around on stage, right? It looks kind weird. of <laughs> or, or or not coordinated, yeah, right? Yeah, you've got to have that spine, that skeletal system, to tell you what you're really about. Mm-hmm. And once you've found that, everything else will fall into place. And if it doesn't fall into place, then that tells you you haven't quite found it yet. Yeah. So you got to keep working. Mm-hmm. But you know when you're given a Good long rehearsal period to do that. That's work. That's but that's joyful work. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's my. Yeah. I love when I've got at least a month. Yes. With the script, because I, <laughs> I, I try and I'll try and be off book as fast as possible, so I can start doing all the character stuff. Um, but I love being able to take my time with it. And yeah. Like okay, yesterday I tried this and this wasn't feeling right at all. Right. So we got to do this now and hammering away at it is what I, I I like to describe my my work ethic I just I just I just go in with a di- giant sledgehammer and just hit tires over and over again <laughs> hoping I get stronger yeah. by the time we open right right then, it is it's very muscular yeah yeah and then by and then you get there and you're like oh thank god I'm, yeah, yeah. I was so stressed out about it. yeah yeah um well that's the sweet spot when you can when you can time that Mm-hmm. <laughs> to open at the same time exactly. if that happens then it's great oh, okay. when you're sitting there like the two days into tech week and you're like I'm uh, still struggling yes I know I know that's the worst but, oh. but sometimes you don't you don't quite know what you're doing until you add that that uh, element of the audience mm-hmm. and 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 then it will okay yeah. we got there you know Absolutely. together mm-hmm. but that is the final element is 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 that audience that gives you the response you know mm-hmm. yeah you, when you were doing film did you find that you still needed to do the same level of homework we'll say before you got to a shoot date or were there certain things that you omitted or didn't examine you know the thing about film is you're not always given that much time mm-hmm. um and often the material is not very good mm. or you're not privy to all the material. Mm-hmm. So just your scenes. Sure, or you know, it's just the actor seems to be a lesser part of the equation mm-hmm. in film sometimes. Um, at least the sort of low level I was working at. Mm-hmm. But uh, but then I had some like really class at 7. But then I had some uh, a couple of really wonderful experiences with some uh, a Caltech student who's mm-hmm. since gone on to do some great things and it was um he was so sensitive uh that he took the time to make sure you knew where you were coming from and where you were going and that made all the difference but film is it's a completely different thing altogether Mm. and i much prefer i think probably most actors prefer working in front of a live audience Mm. and i mean it's kind of like it's sad because once you've done it it's you know, it's so ephemeral, it's gone. Yeah. It's like a bouquet of flowers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd rather have a real live bouquet of real fresh flowers mm-hmm. that die in a few days than, you know... Plastic ones. Well, or a painting on the wall of flowers, right? Yeah. And that, that can be beautiful and wonderful as well, but it's different. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. It, this, it's kind of... There's a separation of the painting... Yes. ...than the real thing. You're looking through somebody else's eyes. Yeah. Whereas if you're watching somebody on stage, it's your eyes, mm. and they're alive. Absolutely, anything could happen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you bring up the audience. It feels like when an actor or a group of actors telling a story are really locked in to a given moment or throughout an entire play, no matter the size of the arena, mm-hmm. it feels intimate for me. Mm. Like I, 
so often now, especially in the way film seems to be going, uh, these these high end budget CGI filled films, while they are breathtaking to watch and like I'm excited to see them, yeah. I don't have a collective response uh-huh. all the time. Uh-huh. Sure. Um, with, well, with, I think in the opposite of true of what you just said, mm. sometimes you can be in the most intimate of of boxes and be watching a show, and if the actors have not done their job, you there is a distance there. Oh yeah. So true. it's it's um, it's it's a wonderful thing when it all works and mm. you get that connection. That balance. And I think because it's live, there's such a risk of. Um, Things, I mean, if you're watching a performance, you're watching almost an athletic performance yeah. of, of the diver jumping off the cliff, right? Mm-hmm. Anything could go wrong at any minute. So it's your, the, the tension is heightened. There's something, you feel alive watching it. Mm. Like we watch, you know, the Olympics, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, you're, you're, you know, you're watching something, you don't know the outcome. And if you're watching a film, well, it's already decided. You're watching something that's already been created and finished. Yeah. When you're watching theater, who knows, mm-hmm. right? No, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a. Even I found that even people who have seen a particular show will come in and see the same play, and depending on the the connection and the homework done, they will sit there and completely forgot or forgotten what's about to come next. Right. Because they get so enraptured in the life that they're In that doing. moment yeah. that they're watching. Exactly. Yes. I, we had people yeah. who'd seen Waiting for Godot um, uh-huh. to go back to the Arvada Center yeah. years ago, like 20 years ago, coming uh-huh. back and seeing it for the first time since and knowing the play front and back and then watching Sam and Tim and go like, holy shit. Right. What am I watching again? And then my character comes on and they're going like, I had no idea this character was even in the play. <laughs> You know, and what's this guy doing on the end of a rope? <laughs> yeah. they, and so it, it, that is the thing that I love. I think you're right about theater so much is that there's this, it's just this immersive thing when it's done well. Yes. When it's on point. Yes. It's, it, it, it saturates and all nothing the Nothing like it. Mm. Nothing like it. Absolutely. Yeah. Do, you, do you pull inspiration from other mediums, um, music, things like that, paintings, when you're in the process or is it just something that you go in well, with a script? That's such a great question. Music can be so evocative mm-hmm. and yet I am not a musical person. So that's not that's not somewhere I necessarily go. Mm. I do think that in good scripts there is a rhythm and a melody that um, if you listen to you can I can I can see, you know, pretty much where a scene needs to get to um, and the way it should go. Mm-hmm. But then I got to do the homework and figure out, and sometimes I'm wrong, mm-hmm. right, of how, how to get there. Um, but most often, my inspiration is other people I've known. Mm. I find... <laughs> I'm so often playing my mother. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she would probably not be so pleased to hear. But... Um, but, it, you know, I'll think, oh, I get that. Mm-hmm. I get that character because I've seen it mm. in real life in this situation. Yeah. Or, um, and, and if you can look at a real life person who's perhaps in a similar situation and see what the dynamics are and, and, and where the flaws creep in and mm-hmm. where the vulnerabilities are, it can be very informative to how you then attack that character. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you find much of yourself seeping into the characters? Or, or, I mean, like, as you said, you sometimes your mother is part of the character you're creating. Do you, are you holding her hand in those processes certainly, where it leaks out? Certainly, um, I don't think any actor can really completely divorce themselves from a character, nor should they. Mm. Um, your own experience is, is what's going to to lend it authenticity, right? Yeah. Um, and yet, and yet, it's such a journey. You can travel. You can go to so many different places and mm-hmm. um, with with different characters. So, I don't think I ever completely lose myself. But that goes back to sort of really 
really stripping away yourself. And I think to me, the absolute worst, um, worst sort of burden an actor can carry is vanity. Mm. And we all have vanity. And how we deal with it is um, the courage to kind of sometimes put that down. Mm -hmm. But so many actors I've seen, sometimes you'll you'll watch them and just go, oh, they didn't take the risk. They didn't go there because they're fear. Mm -hmm. And vanity really is is based in fear, I think, of what people are going to think of the surface of you or, or how you're going to seem to be. And as soon as you start going down that road, you're no longer looking out of the eyes of a different person in a different situation in a play um, who has no idea there's an audience out there mm-hmm. um, and who is just acting and reacting in a situation uh, in lifetime. Um, as soon as you've got that vanity starting to creep into the, the forefront of your brain and you're, aw- you're aware of that audience looking at you, I think you'll lose it. And that's something I struggle with all the time mm-hmm. of just letting that vanity go mm-hmm. um, and forgetting that the audience is there while at the same time I think you've got to be very aware of the audience as part of the instrument your the music you're both creating Absolutely. so it's a tricky thing it's a tricky thing mm-hmm. but um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would agree and my one of my biggest struggles is especially as we get to, closer to opening is then that that marriage of myself to what I've created yes. with the help of the director and then just letting the audience decide what it is for them. Yes, so, because it's so true. There's that, that element of whatever you're putting out there, they're going to interpret it their own way. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it can get, it can, for me at times, it can get difficult giving that up. Because I put so yeah. much work yes. into this. Yes, and you had decided what this would yeah. be. Yeah. And suddenly they're taking it. For me, they're thinking this woman's really a crazy bitch. Yeah. You know? And I don't think she is. No. So, but you got to let people have their own reaction. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's the same. It's just like looking at any painting. It, it, exactly. It really is. You just got to, I mean, once it's created, once the, it is available for the beholder, yes. then it, it, it stops being it what you... Well, it's it. only when you can let it go mm-hmm. that it yeah. starts to soar. Yeah, and I think it's easier. And this is this is what's helped me is letting go of the judgments I've placed on characters yes. and actions. Let them judge you. Yeah, and right. You don't that, have to. Exactly. We come up uh, so often on this podcast talking to other actors. That is one of the things that comes up. Is this? I've got to define this and right. lock that, lock that in. And it's best if we can go like, this is what it means. This is what it means for me at this particular time. Right. It stay fluid and flexible, as you had mentioned earlier, to let that kind of evolve from that point on once the lights come on. And I read something the other, the other day that really struck me, is mm. that um, the, the more specific you can get with choices that you're mm. making for this character, the more specific you can get, the more universal the experience can become for other people. And that was such an interesting thing to think about. Mm. Um, because if you make clear choices, you take a risk with a choice you make, that you are actually, you know, by, by narrowing and, and, and making a deliberate decision about things, taking mm. a risk to mm. do that, that you actually open it up for people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, especially if you get simpler about it. Yeah. If you if we yeah. you're not trying to don't paint. complicate things. Yeah. Just find the things <laughs> that work and, yeah. and and make those things as as I will say small as possible. You pinpoint on it. Yes. And then the rest of the world can get painted around it. Yes. And it does. Mm. It does. If you've if you've chosen something very specific and you know it doesn't work maybe 100% of the time, but I do think even if somebody can't relate to it, if you are showing showing them something um, that tiny, but that it's somehow it, there's a you know you you may be revelatory for them, mm-hmm. right? Even if they haven't experienced it before, if there's authenticity with it, absolutely. If it's a true choice, 
I, if you don't mind, I'd like to backtrack to earlier sure. in, in our podcast together um, when you were talking about your parents. Yes. Did they did they ever start to? I, I want to say start to support you, but I think I don't know. I don't think that I think that's being a little too negative. I, I don't because I don't know the situation. Did they start to really? think that what you were doing with acting when you went out to L.A. at the start, was that, they're like, oh, this is great? I don't know that they actually ever did. Oh, wow. <laughs> do. But it, but I will say, I have, I have the most wonderful husband in the world mm-hmm. who, who also at the beginning, you know, I think I had just given birth to my son mm-hmm. and was holding him in my arms and got a call to come and do a, a play somewhere in, Palos Verdes or somewhere in, in LA and uh, and I called Rich up so excited mm-hmm. and he said no you can't do that and it was like oh my god I can't do that oh, okay this is my life now and then slowly I think over the years he started to see this was really important to me and now that poor man he will come to see every performance mm-hmm. of a show I do so whether or not my parents finally I think they're proud of me um but the support in my life uh, for, for acting, it all comes from him. Nice. I wouldn't be able to do it without him. He is, yeah. the, he is clearly the biggest fan <laughs> in theater. He's lovely. I, 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 yeah. I love Rich. He's, yeah. he's, he's always there. I've never seen him like not happy to be there. Yeah. He's, he's, and, and, he, and he watches every show and it's always new to him. Like, I've yeah. talked to him, I've seen him, uh, there was one show you did that I think I saw twice, and so I saw him, like, early in the run, and then I saw him after, and he had something new when I yeah. talked to him the second time I yeah. saw him about the show. And he'd probably watched it 17 times in between. Yeah, yeah, and, and, that's, yeah. Just, and that's just really, it's really cool that you have that base. Well, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't have any of the success that I've been so fortunate to have if mm. it wasn't for Rich's support. Nice. Absolutely. I, I owe so much to him. Mm. Yeah, he is just wonderful. <laughs> he is a wonderful man. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, usually when we get to this point in the, the podcast, we want to ask our, our, our guest, what is something that they wish they had, uh, le- what is the ghost light that they wish had left, been left on for them? What's something you want to say to the next gen? Wow. Like you're back in third grade. What do you wish somebody <laughs> I think don't be afraid of the work and don't be afraid of rejection. Mm. Um, because if you do the work, you'll find your niche. And you have to work really hard at mm-hmm. this. This isn't easy. No. Um, and you have to be you have to be willing to expose yourself so much to rejection mm-hmm. um, and and learning to to live with that. And I I tell you, I'll get a bad review and I will I will be in tears. Um, tomorrow that could happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be so frustrated and enraged that somebody <laughs> dared to to not get what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you sort of you give yourself twenty four hours and then and then you let it go. But the best thing that helped me was I, <laughs> when I first got out here to Denver and I didn't, I hadn't yet discovered the wonderful acting opportunities. I, I did voiceover mm. for a bit and I did, um, I worked for some Canadian company doing old novels that, mm. you know, were out of copyright so they could just publish them on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I did Jane Eyre and um, uh, some Jane Austen and, and um, it's very lonely work mm. and difficult work. But I, and I'm very ill-paid for me at the time. I got a couple hundred bucks for spending months on Jane Eyre, you know. Oh, wow. But but it was but these 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 works meant so much to me, mm. and I slaved over them, and I made sure I got every word as correct as I could, you know. And <laughs> I don't even read them anymore. But for a while there, I would go and read the reviews. And if you think critics are harsh, the everyday man who spends, you know, mm-hmm. $5 or $1.25 on an audiobook from some ancient novel uh, <laughs> and then feels that he can have the energy they would put into just tearing it to pieces. Yeah. I really, you know, you got to have the skin of a rhinoceros. And that's what I, I think I developed. And that can help you. Mm. Um, 
because you can you can afford then to take risks yeah. and to do something completely out of your comfort zone and fail yeah. and then get back up nice you know so that i would say don't be you use the rejection cry over it for sure mourn the, the loss of your dignity or whatever but then get over it and maybe that person had a point you know or maybe they didn't just get back to work <laughs> get back to work nice yeah. well that's yeah. that's awesome emma thank you so much oh what a pleasure thank for you for here. letting me come here and just spill my guts about hey, what i, I love I to really do i really appreciate it i mean it, it means a lot when people come on and feel that they can they can be honest and comfortable. Well, you've with a made mic it. You've made it feel that way. Well, so it was you. my pleasure. Definitely. Thank you. And, and and we did it all with, we did it all just ourselves. Yeah. No liquid courage today, folks. No. Today's <laughs> today's episode is brought to you by sobriety. Yes, I have a show tonight, yeah. so I can't indulge. I've got another. I've got another episode to record later with somebody who's going to rehearsal. So. Oh. Well. We'll be. We'll be. We'll be saving the beverages till much there later. There you go. There you um, go. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, the guest, the star, is Emma Messenger. She is in All My Sons at the Arvada Center. Anything else there? Yes, and Sense and Sensibility, Sense which and... is a wild, fun ride. Yes. Yeah. It's so awesome that they're doing the the real rep. Yes, yeah. yes. Shows it's... on top of one another. That's... Yeah. Congratulations Thank on that opportunity. You. What else do you have coming up after that well, session? Is up? immediately after this, I'm starting um, Agnes of God mm. at Vintage Theater. Nice. And then after that, I, I'm, I cannot wait for this, and I'm doing The Cake. At Curious Theater. Ooh, sweet. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's um, a show about a Christian baker mm. who someone she loves asks her to bake her wedding cake. Mm. And then she realizes it's for two brides, not one. Oh. And the resulting sort of, uh, uh, sort of self-doubt and, and questioning that comes from that. So That sounds, yeah. that sounds awesome. Uh, that extremely timely. Yes, too. I yes. think that's actually happened very recently. Yes, here yeah. in Lakewood, I think. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. So, please make sure you follow this woman. She's gonna she's gonna take you on a ride, and you will not regret <laughs> it. I promise you that. Um, it's all my sons. It's sense and sensibility. Agnes of God, and then cake the cake the cake at Curious Theater. Um, ladies and gentlemen, once again, the podcast is the Ghost Lights podcast. You can follow us on Podbean and iTunes. The intro and outro music is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble, and we're going to keep coming at you. We're not going away anytime soon. We love the work. We're going to go get it. All right, everybody. Thank you again. Thank you, Emma. Thank you. Have a good night.